HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash farm report. Hello, this is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. So this season, I'm focusing on how farms and food businesses are having to pivot and adjust to feed their communities during COVID-19. Today, we're going to be talking about teaching farms, which have had to adapt to a world in which students are at home and all education is taking place virtually. My guest is Amanda Story, Executive Director of Jones Valley Teaching Farm in Birmingham, Alabama. Amanda, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm so glad we're doing this episode today. I um, opened my computer this morning to check in on all my my morning news and um, the lead story on Civil Eats is about teaching farms and school garden programs like Food Corps Food Core and Edible Schoolyard and how they're adapting by sending garden lessons home and switching to more serious production on their farms to feed people. So it was funny. I was like, wow, this is perfect timing. I <laughs> got a lot of questions based on what I read and it feels like um, a topic that we'll be able to dig into that a lot of groups are are really dealing with around the country. Great. Yeah. So before we before we get into what's happening right now, why don't you give us a little background? Um, how long has Jones Valley Teaching Farm been around and, and what's the origin story? Sure. So we, we started back in 2002 on a very small plot um, as a small community garden on the south side of Birmingham and eventually moved um, in 2007 to 
one city block in downtown Birmingham. So it, you can't get more downtown than where this farm <laughs> is now. And we really just started with this idea of how do we uh, grow food in an urban setting like Birmingham? And what does that mean for our community? And, and how do we shift change policy-wise across the board um, when it comes to farming in the middle of an urban setting? And so that's where we started. But we really started to see an incredible kind of light shine on the organization when we saw kiddos coming on the farm through their what we then called seed to plate programs, which were just field trips. Mm. And we thought, you know, at the time we were doing probably 13 different programs, everything from, you know, farm to school policies to adjusting fryers and and the school system and wellness policies at all of the school systems. And we were pulled into quite a bit, including, you know, answering questions about tomatoes randomly. So uh, (laughs) we knew that uh, we couldn't really show our measurable impact and we wanted to, but we also knew we couldn't solve these larger uh, systemic issues uh, that we were trying to take on as an organization. So we said, let's stop and really assess what we do well. And we knew that it was with education. And so we decided to kind of move away from all of those other larger um, kind of grants that we were part of and really started to focus in on what would it look like if we were to take what we see working so well on this downtown farm and integrate it directly on a school site. And so we were lucky enough in 2012 that a principal um, named Dr. Wilson at one of our elementary schools, the first one that we kind of piloted the program, welcomed us in. And as a nonprofit, you know, we're always challenged of Uh, always thinking that probably we have the answers, but the truth is, is that (laughs) in partnership with the school system, you learn what will and won't work. And so we pretty much moved in to the school for a year and developed an in-school and after-school summer program that would truly work for parents and teachers. And so that's where we started. That's where we pivoted back in 2012. uh, And it became so successful so quickly that the next thing you know, in the next four to five years, we were building out five more teaching farms. So uh, we ended up with seven. So we are now operating seven teaching farms in Birmingham. Six of those are all on school campuses. And our teaching farms look a little different. Um, Yes, we do have raised beds, but we also have ponds full of fish and turtles and we have orchards Mm -hmm. and we have outdoor classrooms where students come out to learn every day and um, receive lessons throughout the school day. And then we run after school programs um, after, uh, you know, the bell rings. So so it's really been uh, this magical place that now exists on on these school campuses. And that's that's where we are today. Yeah, so I want to I want to know more about um, how the students interact with the farms, but I'm also curious first. Um, what does Birmingham's urban farm landscape look like? Are there a lot of urban farms that are operating? Yeah, I mean, I would say today, yes. I think when we first started back mm-hmm. in 2002, it was smaller gardens that were uh, around all you know the city, but. But really, from a large perspective, I would say now they're more community and grassroots um, neighborhood urban farms that are that are happening across our, our communities. And so it's exciting to see. Um, we happen to have built out this program on school campuses. So uh, they're still, you know, will, of course, have uh, teaching farms and, and different school gardens that are happening at different 
uh, municipalities. Birmingham is an interesting thing, not to get into the weeds, but we're part of this larger Mm -hmm. Jefferson County. And just to give you an idea, the city of Birmingham has 99 distinct neighborhoods with their own (laughs) um, neighborhood associations. And in our county, just just to set the record here, Jefferson County itself has upwards of 35 municipalities with their own, like, with their own fire departments and their own mayors and their own uh, government. So we truly are a very segmented society, I would say here. But if you were to, um, but also also working together across all of our food um, access groups as well. So a lot of them are neighborhood based and a lot of them are community based, which is super, super cool to see across Birmingham today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's great. It's it's nice to just have kind of context around, you know, where these teaching firms fit in um, to a city and a, and a landscape. Um, and I don't, I personally, I don't know much about Birmingham. I've never been to Alabama, so. <laughs> well, it is its um, own, yes, it's its own, uh, it's its own place with its own challenges. Um, but I will say something that we did just really quickly is something that makes us a little different than just a school garden, which are all incredible and wonderful things to have at, at, at different schools, mm-hmm. is that our uh, program, which we call the Good School Food Program, is actually those farms that I was just talking to you about, the five that we quickly built, are actually mm-hmm. in one neighborhood. And so essentially, we have a pre-K through 12th grade kind of experience for kids. If you live in this one community in Birmingham, you start with Jones Valley and you graduate with Jones Valley across those five schools. So that is a little different, I think, than if you read about a lot of other um, school garden initiatives, which again, big shout out because it's so hard to do this in school settings. But for us, we really wanted to see what can our model, we really see it as an educational model where a pre-K kiddo can experience this and have this consistency across their 12 years um, in school. And and then their siblings are involved and their families are more involved. So we have a consistency with families that, uh, you know, have known us since they were in elementary school and their siblings are working with us at their high school. So it's a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah. That, yeah, that's incredible all the way through. Um, and what um, what does the actual curriculum look like? Sure. Are you connecting the farm education to other subjects like math and science? Yeah, we're doing all of that. So we, we have, like I said, the model is pre-K through 12. So we have um, a way for you, no matter what grade you are in, to access our curriculum at these schools that we're in. So our another thing that makes us a little different is that we actually pay instructors. So we have full-time employees that act as uh, instructors for Jones Valley that actually report into these schools and they act as faculty at the school, but they're employed by us. So the reason Uh why we set up our model that way is so that we could take all the burden off of a school that already has so many things uh, to think about. And our instructors and our farm staff, we have a 24 person staff that uh, take care of the site ourselves as an organization, but our instructors actually come up with the curriculum in, um, in, in coordination with the teachers. So they go to all the faculty meetings and they know what's coming up and um, can really do the grade level assessments and say, okay, what are you teaching next semester? And our whole crop plans are based on that. So we listen, mm. what are you doing in the next you know, semester? We take that and decide how to grow the food at each of the sites. So we have seven distinct crop plants <laughs> happening at the exact same time. So they're teaching throughout the day, if it's science, if it's a you know, fractions, 
for third graders. You're making our fraction chili recipe out on the site and learning measurements <laughs> and fractions that way and eating chili at the end, which I always say. I would so much be a better mathematician if I had chili at the end of my uh, <laughs> right <laughs> at the end of my experience. Um, but but so there's that piece, right? And then uh, yeah. we also can do anything from so say let's do middle school for a second, and um, you know World War II. We have uh, an entire uh, you know experience for kids to do rationing, and so that's what they need to learn. That's the state standard that they have to kind of check the box on. And what did they do in World War II to to ration out food? Well, we have a perfect setting for that. So they actually come out and they measure out a square foot space because you do square foot gardening so you know exactly how you know you're using math you're taking Mm -hmm. that and deciding okay what can I make the most out of this square foot which is not a lot and then let me grow it and then at the very end that same class comes out and is able to harvest it and take it home and really see how they had to stretch that very small amount of food which I think is so important to know right now especially as we look um, at at our country today and it just brings it to an entirely new perspective but that being said we're able to do things like that so math science social studies art we've done quilts we have done um, poetry <laughs> we've done origin stories on you know tomatoes and things like that so we try to bring all of that to life and our instructors do that with the with the um, with the teachers at the school as well Right. So, I mean, it, it seems like it's it's very interdisciplinary and, you know, the students are learning in the context of the farms. But are do any of them end up getting interested in actually going out and, and farming as a career? Absolutely. So th- the neatest thing, well, not the neatest because it's all great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I, what I'm most excited about right now is that when we finally got to the high school, you know, we had started at these elementary and middle school levels, which, you know, the kiddos at that age just love digging in the dirt and worms and, you know, anything, Yeah, it, it, you know. But once you get to the high school, you're dealing with a whole different group of kids who are saying, you know, that hummus is awful. Please don't bring it back or, you know, really saying out loud what is this? What are we doing? So at the high school level, uh, we quickly learned that there were lots of students that were definitely interested in it. But, you know, we got to pay cell phone bills and, and save up money and help with our income and, and families, you know. So we actually started a paid internship program around five years ago. So we have at least eight juniors and seniors that actually get Um, part-time employment opportunities with us. They spend 15 hours a week with us on the sites and they get course credit for it. So it's this great partnership with the high school um, that they don't have to have transportation. They literally can walk across the street to our farm that's on their campus and start working. Um, So it really was an incredible opportunity to take on. Well, all of those uh, interns started graduating. They were in 12th grade. And I was like, wait, we did not think Mm -hmm. that they were going to ever graduate. What's happening? You know, we were just (laughs) so in the moment. And as they started graduating, we learned very quickly that this was a very serious thing to them. This was not just a part-time job. This was a life-changing experience for them. And so Mm. around a year and a half ago, we decided to launch a two-year apprenticeship program, which basically was available to at least five of those graduating seniors that weren't ready to quite make that big step to whatever was next. They really wanted to continue to harness those agriculture skills, but also work on a lot of the other skills that I think this program offers folks, which is, you know, everything from 
being on camera, to doing donor tours, to speaking in public, to customer service. Like there's all these like pieces around it that make it so um, incredible for a young person. I wish I had a 12th grade. I think my life would look so different if I had had that early on. They're able to like take that next two years and really develop and save up. So we do a full-time employment with insurance coverage and everything. And so we have had that going now for almost two years. And we have five incredible graduate apprentices that are now actually running all of our after-school programs with these instructors on the sites that they actually went to school at, right? So there's this huge full circle experience and them recruiting kids to farm club after-school activities is way cooler than us, meaning Amanda Story, me, recruiting anyone to a farm club, right? So uh, kids listen to kids. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, you know, the cool factor upped immediately when we started this graduate apprenticeship program, but that that's so now we've got folks in full time jobs doing this and whether they're excited about the educational component, whether they want to be teachers, which one of our grad apprentices actually graduated from a two year um, uh, college experience in culinary and arts and Mm. now is our full-time instructor at Putnam where she went to middle school. So we're starting to see not only are we creating jobs through this, right, that our organization is shifting and the kiddos that actually went through the program and I need to stop saying kiddos. I know that. I I like it. It's really cute. I'm so sorry. (laughs) The the young people that go through our programs are now able to teach it and are now able to make a career out of it. And now we're linking up, you know, we've got agricultural colleges calling us and saying, wait, we want to hear more. What are y'all doing? How can we be a partner as well? So I think we're only at the beginning of what this graduate apprenticeship can truly mean, not only for Jones Valley and changing the systemic story, which was a predominantly white organization that partnered with a predominantly um, black and brown school system to really shift that 25% of our entire uh, full-time staff are all Woodlawn High School graduates. And that's something that I think all nonprofits need to be challenging ourselves with um, and eventually will kick me right out of this job, which is great, uh, so that you can truly change that systemic approach to how nonprofits work with, with and in communities, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how uh, things have changed since the pandemic. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. 
You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash farm report. All right, we're back. This is the Farm Report on Heritage Radio. I'm Lisa Held, and I'm here with Amanda Story from Jones Valley Teaching Farm in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, so before the break, we were talking about kind of the way things operate and have been operating at the organization over the past few years. Um, and then everything changed a few, I guess at this point, it's been a few months now, which feels a little unbelievable, <laughs> right? I'm like, was that last week? Time is so it's bizarre these relative. days. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but so so when Birmingham schools shut down, what what was your first reaction? Panic. <laughs> Absolute panic. Because yeah. so much of what we have done and what our model looks like is – around educational output and educational achievement and students getting the opportunity to to do this work, which is exciting and fun and engaging and, you know, all of those things. And yeah, so we panicked because we thought, well, what is this? How, not about us necessarily, but about the students' ability to reach this program and because we know what great things it does and normally we'd have all these students popping up student markets they run their own student markets at each of these sites and they sell the food directly Mm. to their community and we always have farm stands that are open that that the students run and we've always done that from an educational standpoint we've always thought this is a great opportunity to include math and some curriculum to it but we had to stop. We just said, "There's what are we going to do? And so the question yeah. really was, and this is, this is unique to those of us who do school gardens, is you're relying on a school system to tell you what to do sometimes. And that makes mm. it not like we have our own, you know, <laughs> that we don't have to consider that. We do. And it's important to do right. that. That's why we are such good partners with the school system. So we had to call them and say, hey, we still have all this food that we've just planted and we need to keep it going because now we're just going to give it away. We're just going to make these into production farms. If we can't teach out of them, let's just turn them all into production farms and have them be an, uh, a resource for our community instead of a teaching tool mm-hmm. necessarily like we normally would do. And so... We had to develop some strict protocols. We're all still, you know, farming in masks, which is not easy in Birmingham, Alabama, and it's only May. Uh, But, you know, we have masks. We have this entire sanitation uh, process, even harvesting food and planting seeds right next to each other. If you're talking about a six-foot distance and social distancing, which we're also doing, that's really difficult to do. And how do you bring in produce and harvest it and then and then wash it and then pack it? All these things we're used to doing together as a team or with students mm-hmm. or in this group setting. And we had to isolate and we're not used to isolating and we're not good at that. So we had to shift yeah. every way that we operate as an organization. No more students to help us no more volunteers. We rely heavily with seven farms, corporate volunteers to come in and help us in the spring and summer. Don't have those. We have 24 people 
at our organization. So we shifted, we uh, got the protocols in place, got the health officer to look at it. He approved it, went to the school system. They approved us to be on site, which is huge. A lot of school systems are not allowing that. So we know how lucky we are. And we segregated our groups into small groups that don't cross. So on the larger farms that we have, we have a small group of folks, less than 10, usually less than six, that are just only to report into those sites. And then to our smaller farms, it's maybe two people. And so if someone Mm -hmm. gets sick, we're out for 14 days of that one hand. And so it has been truly an interesting time to see, no matter what role you had at Jones Valley Teaching Farm before this hit, you are now a farmer with no questions, yeah. right? Like you're farming. So, yeah. um, and that's that been mean, great. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, go I, ahead. I just, in, when you say you switched to production, um, like what did, it, what did that entail? Like switching fully to production? Where are, you, are you planting more and growing more? Yep. Or is it just kind of, yeah. You're absolutely right. So a couple of things had to happen. Number one, again, remember how I told you all of our crop plans were designed yeah. around curriculum. Well, what do we know comes in a lot in the summer in the South? Squash, cucumbers, start thinking about those bumper crops. And for us, we thought, okay, let's shift a little bit of our crop plans at all of our smaller sites to accommodate kind of larger um, bumper crop kind of scenarios and be less uh, tied to curriculum, which it gives us a little bit more flexibility. And normally we would be saving all of that to give to the students that are actually in the schools, right? So they would be selling it to their community. They would be utilizing them in taste tests. We would be utilizing them in all of our lessons. Well, now we've just got food. And so we started to partner with our local agencies that are distributing to um, distributing to families specifically around our school sites because we thought, how do we get directly to the students that are used to getting this, right? How right. it's impossible almost. So we decided the best way for us to do that is to partner with some local agencies that are actually doing food distribution in the communities where we are working, right? And so mm-hmm. every week we pack up at least 30 to 40 and in the summer, it's going to be more what we're calling um, family farm shares, which is a really nice amount of food per family that they get in a bag that will go home with them and they'll have it to stretch um, for, you know, we have lots of greens right now. So you're talking collards, kale, um, lots of head lettuces, carrots, some mm-hmm. things that don't have to be cooked, which is important when you're thinking about Um, appliance availability and things like that, all the way to things that'll stretch. So our spring onions that are coming in, like I keep looking going, how many spring onions can we possibly have? Well, it's Mm -hmm. great because those onions can go on and on in dishes and our greens, our collard greens can, we can make a mess of collard greens for, um, you know, that'll last a while for families too. So, um, so that's what we've been focusing on is getting them to agencies that then distribute. And there's a really strict protocol on how we're doing that. Um, And we're going to just continue to do that for the foreseeable future. And I'll I'll just add one last thing that we did that's completely different, which is normally we we have this big greenhouse at our high school where our high school apprentices and our grad apprentices all help. So every seed that is then transplanted to all these sites. So just think of it as like this big machine of activity of, okay, everybody giving your seven different crop plans. We are going to start this incredibly crazy experience 
experience of um, keeping all of them organized and the seeds seeds started in this greenhouse and then all the instructors come and get them and take them to their sites. Well, normally we shut down the greenhouse because why, you know, what, once they're in the ground, we're just tending to them, right? And right. we decided mm-hmm. to keep growing seedlings. So now we're partnering with all of those urban farms and community gardens I talked about earlier that are in different communities, maybe not where our school sites are. We are now able to share those seedlings. So upwards of a thousand to two thousand tomato seedlings and pepper seedlings are all going to be going across the city to other spaces so that those plants can be grown faster and um and you know we've already got a head start of them and we've been tending to them so that they can go straight into the ground and then feed the communities not just around our our um, sites as well so that's that's what we're doing now and what I think we'll probably be doing throughout the summer and maybe in the fall we don't even know if the schools are going to come back you know so so that's where we are today it's been it's been an opportunity I think um, to see our work in a different light for sure yeah and have you have you been hearing from local agencies that there's a lot of need um for food donations you know i know that around the country in different cities um there has been rising food insecurity because of the high levels of unemployment and i'm curious if if birmingham um, has been affected by that well for sure and what i've keep saying to so many folks before the pandemic happened i mean i feel like we were already in birmingham living in a pandemic of poverty mm. and food insecurity. So when you add this pandemic, which the COVID-19 pandemic on top of that, it just makes it worse. But we were already facing that. We were already facing yeah. long, long waiting lists for folks to receive food and especially fresh food. So for me, what it does is it continues to expose how broken our food system is. Um, and up until, you know, I will say that I did hear from our agencies, we have a weekly phone call with all of these food agencies in our communities to say, okay, what are you hearing today? What's the issue? And they're saying, yeah, it's hard to get food right now. Of course, now we have the USDA that just announced, you know, that they're buying back some of that produce mm-hmm. from farmers. And it's now we're getting inundated right now. I don't know if you see that where you are, but there's a lot of agencies that now have access to, to produce through the USDA that just went through, but, but it's, that's only going to last for a little bit of time. Right. So, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I would just say that I would just say that I think the pandemic of poverty and food insecurity has not been lost on Jones Valley prior to this. And now you're just adding more folks to that long waiting list. Um, so we'll just do what we can. We don't produce enough to fill that huge need, but if we all band together and share seedlings and share opportunities across these gardens, across the city, maybe there's a way to do that. And and I will say that one of the biggest things that has been, for me, um, watching this work happen and being incredibly proud of our organization, it has also given, we've always looked at our work as an educational you know, nonprofit. And we use food as a platform for learning. That's what we always say. Food is our foundation. We use the the act of growing food as a way to uh, enhance a child's growth, right? And and mm-hmm. but what we're starting to see now, which is so exciting, and we probably didn't put enough emphasis on this. So I take full ownership for that, and I think the organization would agree, is that now the value of growing your own food and the skills that it takes to do that 
and what that means to you and your family and what it means to our communities is now equal to that educational output and giving back to your community is also rising to that occasion. So now I think when we look back, we're going to say, oh, yeah, we're so laser focused on educational output. And now we have all of these incredible values that are also adding to that. And the tier is just, you know, getting getting stronger at that top tier of, of growing your own food, educational output and um, and giving back to your community as as important things to learn as you grow as young people. Right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's been great. Are And are you able I mean, I have no idea how you would do this. It seems pretty impossible, (laughs) but are you able to um, translate any of the educational component to lessons that students are working on at home? Oh, yes. So so a couple (laughs) of things that we do um, is, so we've started digital. uh, I'll send you a couple of things just for you to see, (laughs) because you got to see the Water Wizard uh, video that we put out on Friday, which is one of our graduate apprentices, Jarek, who's, who's, Earn, you can earn badges in our after school club. So now we're getting folks at home to, to earn badges. The bad oh. part is, so we're, all of our stuff is online now, right? So the challenge yeah, is. Where, ha- where can, if, if uh, someone's yeah. listening and they want to see the video, where can they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you go to our website, which is JVTF, so Jones Valley Teaching Forum, JVTF.org. And then at the very top, you'll see our blog, and you click on our blog. And then every curriculum we've been producing two videos a week that has full lesson plans that you can do at home. You can, uh, everything from building your own compost bin with a shoebox to becoming a water wizard um, or a germinator. I mean, there's so many options. Uh, and it's fun for parents and everybody to get involved. But the, but the challenge is, right, and this will be our challenge um, forever, if, is, as long as we're doing remote learning, is those who have access. So equity is always important. And so yeah. how do we reach the students that may not have the same accessibility as others. On the cha- on the pro on the positive side of that, we've only been able to reach 3500 kids that we reach every year through our school sites, those um, six school sites I talked about. So now we are actually reaching more kids. Um, so I think the answer is probably going to be somewhere in the middle. And it's been an opportunity for us to explore this new digital world for us when we're only used to mm-hmm. like on the school sites. So um, so that's exciting. And then our high school interns that would, would have just lost their jobs because the school closed and they won't allow them on our sites right now, which we understand and respect. They're still earning their 15 hours a week through a book study. They're reading Farming While Black um, by Leah Penniman, mm. who we love at Soul Fire Farm. Shh. They're and doing- she was a farmer, uh, a former a guest on this show on the ah! Farm Report. <laughs> so she's, you know, big fan folks over here. So they're reading that book right now and reporting on it and doing book studies and Google Hangouts That's incredible. every week. Yeah. So it, and growing their own food at their homes. That's part of their jobs too. So they're doing that and earning money as they go. So we're just keeping on, keeping on. Yeah. So how do you think this whole moment? that we're in will potentially affect the long-term future of farm-based education. Oh, I, so I thought a lot about this over the past few weeks and, you know, schools, we could disagree and agree on everything at this point, right? We, We can look at the 2020 lens, whatever. It's just a whole new world. 
But Mm -hmm. what we know is that whether you like it or not, schools are community resources and homes of safety and um, opportunities for kids, right? And it's a place for meals. It's a place where you access counselors. It's a place where teachers are very important. We can always argue, should it be that way? That's not the point. The point is, is that that's where we are. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that these school gardens or teaching farms that we have created that were often seen almost like elective sometimes to folks, I think, and the complicated history in Birmingham of agriculture, right, especially Mm. um, in black and brown communities specifically. So the question is, is, you know, what I'm excited to think about is now to see teaching farms turn into the very things we've always been saying, which is the foundation. It's a foundation for our survival in many ways. It's a foundation for learning. It's a foundation um, for community connectedness. And it's, uh, so there's a piece of that for me that if we now look across the country and we see all of these, like you just said, you read this story this morning, when we start to see those teaching farms and those school gardens as just as resourceful and important to our vital lives and, Mm And that, I think, is shifting. And if it shifts towards that and we all then see the value in being able to feed ourselves without having to rely on other folks to do that for us necessarily. And I know that sounds there's a bunch of pieces around that and why that's important. But just knowing the skills, which is something I've learned since working here, um, Mm -hmm. is an incredibly powerful thing. And let's highlight that and let's value that and let's make sure everyone sees the value in that. And I think that the fact that we're able to provide that as a resource is is incredibly important right now. And the tricky part is that it's always been that way. It's always been important, you know. Yeah. Uh, now's an opportunity to to value it even more, I think. Um, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you, you kind of hinted at this earlier, which is that in a moment of crisis, you know, that, that the crisis sort of sheds light on places where there were already cracks in the system, right? Or oh, yeah. on things that were important before, but were ignored because things were going okay. So we didn't need to pay attention to them, right? Absolutely. And, you know, for nonprofits and for school gardens and those of us who are responsible for fundraising during a pandemic... I don't know what that's going to look like for all of us long term. I don't know what that looks like for for for-profit businesses at this point. So you can imagine as a nonprofit who's reliant on those donations to keep going, you know, I think that's going to be a challenge long term for all of us. But at the end of the day, I think when your mission and when you're reaching folks, uh, we've even seen this, our community is definitely coming around us. Um, right now and and lifting us up, which we needed um, because because they too see, okay, this is a resource. This is something that is helping our community right now. And so I just encourage everyone to think about those folks that are in your communities that are doing this work um, and be if you can and you are able to support them where you can because uh, they're going to need it. Yeah. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing the story of Jones Valley Teaching Farm. Yeah, thank you for having me and sending all good thoughts uh, your way (laughs) as we navigate all of this together, right? Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you next week.
The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.